Welcome back to another episode of the Hungry Takes Podcast with Joe and Matt. And Matt, tonight I think is going to be a special episode as we delve into a topic I think that is timely for a lot of reasons, uh, very relevant and very important to our society, and that is kind of the pros and cons of youth travel sports leagues. Yeah, I Joe, because from time to time, everyone knows we like to deep dive topics instead of running down, let's call it the current events of the week. And I think this is a really good one. I think youth sports are really changing the face of the larger picture of sports really in the last three to five years. So I think it's a perfect time to deep dive this topic. And I think one reason, Matt, this topic is going to be fascinating is I feel like a lot of people, a lot of parents out there raising kids that participate in, in travel sports leagues for youth. And, you know, to kind of define that, I mean, obviously, you know, you're welcome to, you may have a different definition, but I kind of look at it like, you know, to set the stage, you've got travel soccer, travel baseball, softball, uh, like AAU basketball, all those leagues, you know, where tennis, where a young athlete is going to travel a lot, uh, you know, weekends when they're, 8, 10, 12 years old, they're going to be on the road playing, you know, other all-star teams or select teams. And I feel like a lot of people in society have kind of pretty much accepted that this is just inevitable that kids are going to do this. And one reason I kind of want, thought this would be a fun topic or an important topic is to kind of step back and say, is it a good thing? What are the pros? What are the cons? The first I heard about it was probably around 2002 or 2003. I can remember uh, a lot of kids playing select baseball, they called it. And obviously it's kind of morphed into the, the phrase travel ball. And I feel like it just kind of became a phenomenon that, you know, at first felt like it was a phenomenon for a select few. And then it's kind of transitioned into this like mainstay. Like if you're not playing travel ball, you're behind the times. You're not going to be a high school, a college or a pro athlete. And so I wonder, like, how did we reach this point? And I told you, Matt, I prefaced before the show that I found this article from the New York Times back in 2005. And I can't remember the author of the article, but I know that one of the prominent doctors who was quoted in this article that looked at just the increase of youth sports leagues and uh, particularly youth playing the same sport year-round. One of the doctors interviewed was none other than Dr. James Andrews, you know, the, the most prominent you know, sports uh, surgeon of our time ever. And he said an example that really stood out to me, Matt. He said that anytime he was getting a new patient back in 2005, if it was a kid coming in with a sports injury, he would start out, any uh, examination or meeting with the uh, the parents and the family, 
and he would uh, bring a blackboard or a marker board into the room, and he'd hand them a mark, the parents a marker or a piece of chalk, and he'd say, um, before we do anything else, could you please write down uh, kind of a detailed list of all sports that your son or daughter has participated in, um, you know, how, how much private uh, coaching they're getting, all the leagues they played in, you know, jot all that down. And he would leave for about 15 minutes. And every time the marker board, the chalkboard would just be covered in, in like the same uh, uh, phrasing, but it was all about the same sport. Like it'd be like 20 different things about baseball or basketball. And he'd look at the parents and he'd say, that's the reason you're here because your child is participating in just one sport and that is leading to injury. Conversation. Like, I can go years. And, and, and Joe, quite frankly, you may have to do a follow up uh, show about this one topic, right? Because, and, and, and I'm going to hit on what you just explained with uh, Dr. Andrews, right? So, we can talk about what travel ball, travel leagues, AAU are doing to the sports themselves. And then we can talk about what they're doing to the athletes, right? And one of the sub points of what they're doing to the athletes, I got two really here. One, overuse, okay? And then two, underdevelopment of the child as an athlete, right? Which what that means is if all you do is play baseball, you only train those muscles, those tendons, those ligaments, right? Whereas if you play baseball, football, and basketball, then you get a whole body workout. I'm oversimplifying. But you train all of the muscles in your body for different impacts, different positions, et cetera, et cetera, all in like your reaction time. And so to your point about Dr. Andrews, that's what he's saying is y'all have specified one single sport and your child is getting hurt because the rest of their body has not developed and quite frankly has probably been overused. Yes. No, I think that, Matt, that is a fantastic point. Um, it's the overuse, you know, it, I think, makes you more prone to injury. I think it uh, prevents um, or deters these athletes from developing, you know, into a better athlete in a lot of different sports. Um, I, I've always kind of felt like specialization should take place later on, like in the high school years, maybe even like early college. You know, if you're a really good athlete, you know, it's a lot of people in high school, you know, when I was growing up and played, you know, two or three sports. And so, but going back, though, I know you wanted to talk about, I think you said first, um, did you want to talk about first how it changes the athlete or how it changes the sport more? Yeah, let, let's stay on the athlete, and then we'll, we'll start from the singular and move up to the larger picture. So you started us on the athlete, so let's stay there. Let's talk about how it changes the actual athlete. Okay. So one big example that I've seen over the last 20 years is the increase in Tommy John surgeries for young baseball players. It seems like it's reached the point, Matt, where if you're a pitcher that plays in the professional level, it's almost like it's become a rite of passage that you're going to have a Tommy John surgery at some point in your career. And it used to be more of an outlier. I think uh, John Smoltz was one of the more uh, like first kind of prominent examples for a really good Hall of Fame caliber pitcher to have Tommy John surgery and then come back from it. But now like you could just go through a list of all these Hall of Famers and you know, future Hall of Famers like Justin Verlander most recently that have had to have Tommy John surgery. And I just don't think that it's a coincidence that around the time you saw the increase in those surgeries, 
you also saw the advent of uh, young players specializing in one sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I couldn't agree more. I think you talk about Tommy John surgery and Tommy John injuries from a baseball perspective. Let me give you the basketball side because, you know, that's, that, you know that, that is what I do is basketball, right? It's foot injuries, Joe. Name a player who, starting with Greg Oden, right, when the AAU got popular, that, that has been a mainstream person that hasn't had a foot injury. Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, uh, uh, Ben Simmons is still coming off a foot injury. Joel Embiid sat on the bench for three years because of a, a, a foot injury. And it's because they play so many games year-round at such an early age. It's somehow, whether it be through athletic training or, or whatnot, they have protected their ACLs and Achilles, which traditionally are for older athletes, Achilles injuries. But at the young level, these kids are getting foot injuries, Liz Frank fractures, all these different things at an earlier age. And to me, it's just overstressing their bodies that are just not able to handle the, the workload, the capacity, the force of playing all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's basically made them try to become professionals at a young age and just overwork their bodies. And I think about the drills that they do. It's kind of like for repetition, they'll do the same drills every day, whether it's basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever. And I just think just that wear and tear on your body, and you're only going to have so much mileage before, you know, the vehicle is going to need some repair. Yeah, absolutely. So, so definitely uh, travel sports – take a toll on their bodies from a physical standpoint. Joe, so, you know, as a, a, an athlete, right, as a person playing basketball, as a person playing baseball, I would argue that the AAU circuit, the travel ball circuit, it basically creates this clone of a one-type club, right? Like, you look at basketball, okay, and every single player is six foot eight, can jump through the gym and shoot threes. So, so first point is, it taxes their bodies too much. Second point is, I feel like there's no originality in their skills and in their game. Yeah, you no longer have, you know, those just kind of uh, everyday heroes, you know, that you might have on the playground growing up or your neighborhood, you know, friends, you know, that was like the best best kid, you know, in the neighborhood. It's like everybody plays the game at such an elite level where we're almost like robotic when we see, you know, kids playing travel ball. Yeah, I mean – to me, a great example is Carl Anthony Towns, okay? He's a guy who's seven foot tall and is a true big. He's not like Chet Holmgren, who's undersized, underweight, right? He is a true center position in the NBA. And what he brags about is that he is the best big man shooter in the NBA. Bro, you're seven foot tall. Can you back down somebody and post somebody up in the paint? If the answer is no then what are we doing here? Like, the fact that you can shoot is a cherry on top of the Sunday. You were bred to play the center position and just go belly to back and post somebody up. And my point there is, through the AAU circuit, they taught Carl Anthony Towns how to shoot threes and not be a center, which is unique to his body and him as a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Right, right. No, I think that's a great point there. Um, you know, we've talked about baseball and basketball primarily i mean do you think that there's a correlation with more of these injuries with uh, kids playing a lot of sports when it comes to like soccer or tennis or something like that so 
it's not the idea of playing a lot of sports that bugs me, right? It's the idea of playing a lot of the same sport. And, and what I mean there is, okay, if you play basketball, you're learning how to move laterally. You're, you're, you're running, you're doing sprints, right? You're learning how to jump. If you play baseball, it's, it's mostly hand-eye coordination, right? And a lot of finesse and skill. When, when it's uh, track and field, it's about 0 to 100, right? It's sprint speed. I mean, all these different tools that you learn. So it's not the the variety of sports that they play. It's the fact that they just specifically play one sport all the time that really uh, kills me about it. Well, and what frustrates uh, me about it, Matt, is you'll watch uh, telecasts of different sports leagues. Like, uh, I see it, like, maybe during the College World Series. I'll see it, like... Uh, during uh, different amateur events that are going on on ESPN. And you'll see interviews with former players in that respective sport. And they'll be telling like the young people at home on television, they're like, you need to play every sport. You need to play multiple sports. You don't need to specialize so early. It's bad for your development. It's not as fun for you, you know, growing up. And yet it's like our society is just dedicated or almost um, relentless, defiant to following that guidance. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Here's the grossest part, and this is a subsection of the subsection of this conversation. Like I said, this conversation is layers deep, okay? The reason why they ignore that input, it's not the athlete that ignores that input, Joe. It's the parents. Go look on Instagram, and you will find parents with eight-year-olds who are posting on Instagram accounts trying to create the brand of this eight-year-old all in hopes that they get a college scholarship, that they make it to the pros, and then that the parents can get a lottery. And so the reason we ignore that advice is they are literally pimping out their children in hopes that they become billionaires in the future. I almost wish, Matt, that there was some type of layer of you know restriction that could stop just, you know, any parent, you know, that maybe doesn't know what they're doing from getting involved in these sports leagues. And what I mean by that is if you think about protecting the youth out there, you know, and making sure that you have player safety, you know, at higher levels of sports, what's more important than protecting our youth? And if you have, you know, just some random dad or, you know, random volunteer that really doesn't know what they're doing, doesn't understand, you know, uh, how, you know, things work biologically, you know, that could be really dangerous to put them in charge of a team. Yeah, no, I, I think it absolutely is. And there are tons of egomaniacs, uh, you know, people who played when they were younger, now they've become adults and they can't let go of the sports that, that do guide these teams, do guide these youth, and it's very scary, Joe. So real quick, Isaiah Paskin said, you know, he played football, he played tennis for a bit, but he wanted to personally try something different, and he wanted to play multiple sports because he wanted to try them, not what people told him. And I think that's a profound idea, profound thought there, because to me, that's where you get the passion, right? It's like wanting to personally challenge yourself and try different things is how you find out what sport you really want. When you have a parent that's just drilling football or baseball or basketball into you because they see a paycheck in the future, that's dangerous to me. It is. It is, and it allows the parent or kind of puts the parent in a situation where they're vicariously trying to live through the child. It's like, you know, uh, my, uh, you know my personal career didn't, you know, go as far as I wanted it to, but by golly, you know, my son's going to make it to the NFL or the MLB or whatever. Yeah, no, and, and you know, 
other thing, uh, Isaiah keeps saying, he says, um, he said it was worth it, right, to play multiple sports. And, and I agree with that, Joe. In my own personal life, I'd love to hear yours. Uh, I love the fact that I can pretty much pick up any sport and play it well, right? Uh, some of it's because I'm a natural athlete and I'm not trying to inflate my ego. But most of it is because I've tried so many sports. Like, I tell everybody, I'm literally an Olympic champion uh, ping pong player. Like, I can play for the U.S. national team in ping pong, right? I could have played college basketball. I play golf, shoot under 80 in golf. I can throw and hit a baseball. I could be a quarterback in football. And it's not because I'm a great athlete. It's because I tried so many sports growing up. Yeah, no, no. Personally, you know, that was important to me. I played uh, predominantly uh, baseball and basketball growing up. But, you know, over the years, I've also played, you know, some recreational tennis, um, done, you know, a good bit of running. But just growing up, though, playing, you know, baseball and basketball, it allowed me to kind of have, you know, uh, a break from both sports. Like I was able to concentrate on playing basketball, going to the gym, you know, during the winter months. And then, you know, during the warmer weather, I was playing baseball. So I had that kind of break for my body. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the crazy part, Joe, I was actually watching a clip not too long ago, and uh, like literally a week ago, of some phenomenal athlete, like, um, I want to say Patrick Mahomes, but it wasn't, okay, but it was on that level where you're like, oh, I know who it was. It was like Tyreek Hill or something. Someone you would think is just a phenomenal athlete across the board, but he couldn't even throw a baseball, right? Like, it was scary. He's like the best in the world at whatever sport he's in. And like I said, I can't remember the athlete, but he couldn't throw a baseball or he couldn't like shoot a basketball. And like, to me, that's scary that you spent so much time focusing on one thing that you literally have no other athletic talents. Right. Right. And I think that in addition to focusing on one sport and just playing it so repetitively, it's the fact that it's like a 24-7, 365 ordeal that makes me even have more of a problem with it. Like if you had a, a guy, a, a girl that was playing, you know, one sport just for a few months, I could get on board with that more than the 365 ordeal. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. But what I also see, Matt, is, you know, you talk about what this is doing to the leagues. I think you said you had kind of a conversation as far as what it's doing to youth sports too. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has an impact. And I also think that on a grassroots level, it impacts, you know, the local leagues. Like, you don't really have um, good uh, local recreational youth sports leagues that are doing as well because it's almost like the poster child is going to be the travel ball. And so you'll have kids sometimes that will try to play both, you know, like an a be on an AAU basketball team and then also play, like, recreational basketball during the week when they're at home. But you might have some kids, you know, that aren't good enough to play travel basketball or travel baseball or, you know, travel tennis or whatever. And so they suffer because they don't get as much time on the field and the season doesn't go as long. And so I, I just don't like kind of the, the perception um, around youth sports right now. Hey, look, I'll go a step further, Joe. One of the things I see at the local level is that, 
some of these schools, right, uh, they become private schools with vouchers, right? And so they take the best athletes from all the local areas, they put them in one school, and then they go play national ball, right? Like instead of playing the high schools in Mississippi, like all the different athletes spread across all the Mississippi high schools, they'll all go to one Mississippi school, and then they will go play teams in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Ohio, California. And so, like, even the local people don't get to appreciate their own athletes and superstars. No, that's certainly a problem as well. And, you know, you want to talk about what it's doing, though, on the uh, larger level when you look at the scale of, like, the NBA, MLB, NFL, um, whatever, you know, league you're talking about. I've seen kind of, you know, oftentimes an attitude change with a lot of athletes. Like, you look back, I would tell any of our uh, listeners, if you don't believe me, go back and watch post-game interviews from, like, the 1980s or 1990s with athletes like a Magic Johnson, a Larry Bird, um, watch, you know, a Michael Jordan, you're going to see them treat the media a lot differently than athletes do in this day and age. And I feel like that there's this sense of, you know, you were always playing travel ball, you were playing select elite leagues, you know, kind of you were getting uh, glamorized at, at a young age. And so I feel like that has an impact on uh, when you see, uh, you know, the, the professional athletes now, there, there's that, that, that different attitude. Like, it, like it's not as team first. It's more personalized. It's more individual based. And I feel like that is definitely uh, permeating uh, the sports landscape. Oh, oh, it absolutely is, right? I still take a guy, and, and I'm not picking on him. And quite frankly, he's a very good team guy, right? I just happened to hear an interview with him the other night. Uh, it was Chet Holmgren after Summer League, right? And the, even though he's a really good guy and, and he, he is a team-focused individual, the interview was very self-centered, right? And it's not an indictment on him. It's the fact that he has been in the limelight in this AAU circuit where he is the celebrity since he was probably 12 years old, right? So yeah. that's how he's interviewed now. He interviews like he is a celebrity and he's technically – Never played a minute of professional basketball yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you go back 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when a professional athlete reached, you know, the high-level college ranks or especially the pros, that might have been the first television interview they ever gave. You know, you might have had an athlete that was on a draft night for the NBA draft. That might have been like the first primetime interview of their life. And now you've got these people, you know, that, have played so long, they've been in front of the cameras for years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Joe, as we kind of close out this discussion about travel leagues and AAU and what it's doing to sports, I would ask all of our listeners, kind of next time you're watching whatever sport you're interested in, whether it be golf, tennis, female swimming, female volleyball, NBA, MLB, whatever, right? Really watch what's going on. Listen to the interviews. Listen to the, how the announcers talk about them. Uh, look at how the guys or the girls play the sports they play. And really ask yourself, you know, are you seeing some kind of effect from all these travel AAU clubs? And my answer is absolutely. I mean, it's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. 
I think so. And, and I really noticed it more, Matt, um, two years ago, you know, during the worst part of the pandemic, I'd go back and watch on YouTube a lot of classic games and sporting events. And I just noticed a big difference. Like it stood out to me comparing and contrasting it, you know, to contemporary times when you see kind of the perception of athletes. And so I definitely agree with you on that and recommend that people uh, check out some of that footage. Matt, I almost feel like I know we only got a few minutes left. I almost feel like we need an encore this episode because there's so much with this topic that I still would love to bring up. Uh, it, it's so deep, Joe. And, and the thing is, I, I think where I want to leave here, because it's so deep, and I think we come back to it definitely in the future. I think it's a fantastic topic. But, Joe, where do you think it heads five or ten years from now, right? I mean, if, if this is the current state of sports, the current state of young athletes that are maturing into professionals, like, what do they become ten years from now? Does travel ball become more important than the high school experience than college ball? Than, I mean, like, what happens? Matt, I think that it's scary to even think about the possible implications. I mean, it would not completely be far-fetched to me if we didn't see, like, uh, quasi-NIL deals, you know, on some of these levels. Like, it would not shock me. I think that, you know, just with the continued growth of social media, with just uh, the continued growth of media in general, and just also with the fact that as we've talked about ad nauseum throughout this episode, the fact that society has pretty much accepted that travel ball, that playing and specializing in one sport year-round is one of the direct pathways to the professional level, it's going to continue to be that pipeline, and it's just going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, if you're really extrapolated, right, you look at what Bronny James is doing right now. So AAU basketball, I think he's a senior, about to be a senior, whatever. He's kind of starting to peak and, and make waves, right? Granted, he's got limelight because of his dad. But what I'm saying is, think about five years from now, ten years from now, you could have an entire AAU squad of 13 guys playing basketball who are 16 years or under, all right? They could each have a million-plus Instagram followers, have an NIL deal. They could be under 16, worth a million dollars apiece, and that is playing travel ball. Like, what is the future of that? But that is where we're headed, right? I can list a bunch of guys. Bronny James, Chet Holford, uh, Mikey Williams. I mean, it's already there. It's just a matter of time before it escalates. Yes, yes, absolutely. Definitely going to see that escalation. A few other things I would say kind of uh, in closing, when we at some point hopefully get to talk about this again, a few other topics, Matt, I definitely want to harp on is the impact that travel ball and the dedication that it takes to have, you know, a son or daughter playing on a travel sports league, just like the economic impact for a family. Think about rising gas prices and trying to get a kid to these tournaments of the impact, you know, of having to stay in hotels, you know, buy food on the weekends, the impact negatively that it probably often has on uh, siblings, you know, that you might have like a four-year-old uh, brother or sister that's kind of drug along, you know, for the ride on some of these tournaments. I've seen that firsthand and they're kind of forced to be there, you know, for these events when they just want to be a kid. So the family impact, the economic impact, I think it's not talked about enough. And then also, I would, though, like to also look at the other side at some point and maybe talk about some of the positives to uh, travel ball. And one thing I think about is, of course, you know, the fact that it gets uh, youth active and kind of keeps them out of trouble. Yeah, so I think we may episode really delving into 
the positive side of travel ball clubs and what they do for the youth at an early age. I will touch on the one point you just brought up because, well, first off, I thought about the same thing, and I meant to bring it up earlier, so I'm glad you did. And the second part is we had already kind of alluded to it. The parents are basically pimping out the kids. And even though that sounds harsh, ask yourself, what other reason would a parent invest in 30 different baseball uniforms for their child, driving across country, paying for airplane tickets, paying for private coaches, all of the economic and financial things necessary to play and travel ball if you didn't think there was a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right? It's the only way it logically makes sense, even if a parent would want to walk that low spade across the table saying that they just love their child, air quotes. That's just my thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it just it just worries me because I think about, you know, just the, the commitment and how, you know, uh, it's just getting more and more. I think about the families, I think about being gone on the weekends so much. You know, I think about traveling almost like a college or a professional athlete at the age of eight or 10 years old and just kind of the, the impact, you know, that that has. And, you know, personally, I know, Matt, that uh, you and I did a lot of uh, competitive uh, speech and debate in high school and college. You know, we got to travel a lot. But at the end of the day, that was in high school and college. You know, it was not when we were eight, nine, 10 years old. When I was that age, um, I did not play travel sports, um, for really partly because travel sports for one thing, um, was not really a thing until uh, I was probably like 12 or 13 years old anyway. But regardless, I played just the, the recreational local leagues, and I felt like that was enough, quite frankly. Yeah, and, you know, Joe, I think the other side of that, not to keep this going, but the other side is I feel like the, the children don't self-actualize, right? They, you, you mentioned we did speech and debate, right? Well, the whole time you're studying a playbook or you're hitting uh, in the batting cage for the fourth time that day, that's time that you're not spent studying, studying, not spent reading, learning how to draw, to paint, to act, to sing, to play an instrument. All of that stuff makes you a well-rounded person. And newsflash, about 1% of athletes or less make it to the pros. 99% of the time, you're either going to get hurt and in your career early, or you're simply not going to pan out. So that self-actualization and experiencing other things in life, whether it be art or culinary or whatever your passion is, are very important. Oh, absolutely. I think it just kind of stunts um, the development of a person. Because if you're around, you know, kids that are playing the same sport as you, you know, with the same interests, you know, I just feel like you're not exposed to enough different kinds of people, enough uh, different activities. And at that age, you know, you just don't want to specialize in anything. And I think you have a very profound point, Matt, about like, you know, missing school, you know, missing time and just in the local community. Like, how can you, you know, realistically go from tournament to tournament, town to town and be able to get, you know, as much out of your education? Yeah, you simply can't, right? I, you know, I'll kind of leave everyone with this little insight to, to my background, and that was, you know, a lot of people, they would hear us talk about speech and debate, Joe, and, and kind of think that it's a joke uh, in comparison to athletics, right? But what you know to be true and what I know to be true is that oftentimes uh, debaters travel more arduously than any athlete ever could. I'm talking every weekend, Thursday through Sunday, 
working, uh, grinding, uh, being in debate tournaments, and it takes a toll on you. And in my personal experience, my mom was worried that I wouldn't get a college education because I would be too busy traveling and competing just like an athlete in speech and debate. Yeah, it really was like that. I mean, that's kind of the parallel. Um, my dad always kind of rationalized it. He's like, you know, at least, you know, it's almost like you're getting like a second or third major just because, you know, it is something kind of like with that academic mindset. But, yeah, I mean, you can easily, you know, uh, get uh, off your routine um, as far as like the structure of your schoolwork, even with speech and debate tournaments. Same to be said about like show choir, band, whatever it can be. I think just the big thing I would say is that I go back to the fact that I think when you're eight, nine, ten years old, the problem is, and I think you would agree with this, the kid is not making that, that decision. It's the parent making that decision for the kid. Correct. And then we'll go full circle to the parents tipping out the kids to get to that pot of gold, Joe. And I'll kind of leave you with this because Lily brings up a point saying that it's not about making it big and huge deals. It can be about also getting uh, college scholarships, full rides. And I think Lily is spot on there. In the next episode, the next take that we have with, with this travel ball club uh, topic, I would also like to talk about the colleges and universities, right? If they are offering full-ride scholarships to athletes who are already millionaires because of NIL deals or who are going to leave college after one year and go to the pros, then the colleges and universities are being tipped as well. It really is a difficult topic to delve into here. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic, Matt, and, you know, I think it's something you don't hear enough people uh, talking about, you know, and, and it's almost, it's one of those things where it's kind of unpopular, I feel like, to an extent on a societal level to dissect this topic, because it's almost like this foregone conclusion that this is the way it's going to be for uh, the continued, you know, growth of youth sports leagues, and, you know, I'm not saying I want to obviously stop kids from playing sports, like I love watching sports um, and definitely support that, but I definitely think that there is, you know, time and season for everything and we really need to kind of dial it back a little bit and look at the impact that this has on kids and then also just the injuries that we see taking place yeah i, I think so and i think you know i guess my final thought really is it's a difficult topic delicate topic because it's one of those where you have to be able to walk and chew bubble gum at the same time right it's the intersection of family sports money i mean everything right everything about youth sports intersects at like the epitome of life and it makes you question everything about you know what's going on with the, the family and society the whole nine yards so it makes it a interesting topic to really discuss absolutely absolutely and i look forward uh, to the encore at some point for this topic and you know we got so much into this matt we didn't even have time to talk about a summer league uh basketball or any major league baseball or especially we did not get to hear your uh, take on that uh apparently delicious uh humongous uh, milkshake or ice cream sundae that you had on sunday we will we will save the conversation about the ginormous milkshake for the next episode we'll leave everyone hanging on that one joe the, the last thing i'll say because have to laugh at it because it does touch on youth sports a little bit um, i'll leave everybody this I thought it was so funny yesterday when the Orlando Magic in Summer League decided to shut down the number two pick, Banchero, because he played two games. Because my first thought was, this kid's been playing AAU basketball since he was probably eight years old.
And now, after two games in, in Summer League, y'all have decided to shut him down. I was just floored by that. Yeah, no, it definitely floors me. And, you know, I told you all along, I still am not sold on the fact he was the number one pick. And so, you know, we'll see how that uh, works okay. out. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it still puzzles me when I think about that because I you know, never really heard him talked about as the number one pick, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get to draft day, and, and there it was. And so, you know, we'll see uh, what happens with that decision for the Magic in, in, uh, in the summer league. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Matt, well, I guess you really are going to leave people hanging about that giant milkshake. think so, Matt. Can, can you at least uh, tell people what you paid for it? Do you think that that would maybe kind of keep people uh, dialed in for next week? I'll, I'll, I'll hit the price and the ingredients, and then I'm going to leave them there. It was an over $20 milkshake. It had brownies, cookies, cookie dough, and all the ice cream you could possibly stomach. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, that will certainly be a great hungry take. We all, for next week, we almost could do a, a complete episode on that. It's, it's a must stop in Hattiesburg if you're ever traveling through the area. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, um, thank you, uh, everybody, uh, so much for tuning in, Matt. It's been a fun episode, and I can't wait uh, to do it again.